everybody. You are watching School Psych Podcast. We're so happy to have you here this evening. We're excited for our guest, and I know that she has some cool little prizes and freebies tonight. So it might be a good idea to be commenting in the chat box uh, so that to get your name kind of up in there, maybe uh, might win something exciting. So I'll look forward to that. But my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist in the state of Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca to tell everybody how to participate tonight, Rebecca. Hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. And I hope that if you are watching us live, you have signed into your YouTube account because you can comment right alongside the video. We'll be looking for comments and questions and just hellos. And also, you can comment on Facebook on either of the two pages, School Psych to Your School Psychologist or the School Psych podcast page, our dedicated podcast page, and on Twitter using the hashtag psychedpodcast. Look for us at at podcast site. We'll be looking for your tweets and comments and messages. And now I'm going to hand it over to Eric, who's going to introduce our wonderful guest. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, I'm Eric, and I'm also a school psychologist in Connecticut, and I'm excited to have our other Rebecca with us tonight. Um, uh, Rebecca Brandstetter, PhD, is a school psychologist, author, and speaker whose mission is to help children thrive by supporting school psychologists, educators, and families. She's the founder of the Thriving School Psychologist Collective, an online community dedicated to improving mental health and learning supports in public schools, as well as the co-creator of Make It Stick Parenting and Peace of Mind Parenting Courses to support parents and families. She's the author of two books, The School Psychologist Survival Guide, and her newest book, which has just recently been released, The Thriving School Psychologist, Four Steps to Better Time Management, Lower Stress, and More Impact in Your School Community Beyond Testing. She and her husband are proud parents to two daughters and two furry husky dogs and live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, welcome, Rebecca. I think tonight uh, would be amazing to talk about your new book and many of your endeavors and especially about the, the four common burnout traps that you've mentioned that school psychs can fall into. Um, I'm wondering maybe as we get started, if we could just hear a little bit about your journey as a school psychologist and what has led you to be interested in burnout and helping school psychologists thrive. Well, I'm so excited to be here with, um, I don't know who's gonna be called the other Rebecca, but my good friend Rebecca and Rachel and Eric, I'm so honored to be on this fabulous podcast. And like you mentioned, um, my new book just um, was released and literally this morning. So we just had that time change and I was up and it wasn't because of the time change, I was excited to see um, it was coming out. Um, so I'm very excited to share some of the um, key points and um, kind of uh, key take home messages from the new book. Um, and it is, again, about moving from just through survival mode into thriving. And, um, you know, it kind of is started a journey of me search, <laughs> um, me search turned research um, about what it is about the field of school psychology that makes us so prone to burnout, not just helping professionals in general, which also prone to burnout, but um, school psychologists in particular. And it all kind of came from this sort of moment in my life. It was about eight years in to the field. Um, and I was working um, very hard and I was also pregnant with my first daughter. 
And so I was about six months pregnant or so, and I was in a situation where I was doing a ton of testing. And I felt really like my entire role was test, IEP, repeat, diagnose, and adios, right? Like I didn't feel really empowered to do all of the range of skills that I knew how to do and wanted to do. It just felt really trapped. Um, and so one night I went to the district office, which is like from central casting of like the worst place on earth that you could think of with like, you know, metal desks and like filing cabinets and flickering like, you know, fluorescent lights of horror, uh, a window this big, like way up high that looks like jail. Um, and so I went there because I was like, I'm six months pregnant. I got to figure out if I write these reports and it's quiet there. So I, after work, after a full day at my middle school, I went on over there and I'm typing up my reports and um, the whole building goes on lockdown for an intruder on campus, an armed intruder. So I dive under the desk, I'm clutching my belly and I'm you know, kind of just being like, what am I doing? <laughs> I had this moment where I was like, wait, why am I risking my life, my baby's life for writing reports? Like that's not what I signed up for. It's one thing you know, to be, involved in your community and feel like you're really empowering, making a difference. But I felt like I was a paralegal, like a clerical aide at some point. And I'm sure school sites out there might be resonating with that. And so on the way home, I'm you know crying and everyone was fine, thankfully. And you know, no, the gunman was caught and all that. Um, but on the way home, I got to my husband. I was like, guess what? I have to quit my job. <laughs> like, I love my students and I hate what I am doing right now. And I was like, I don't know how we're gonna pay the bill, like you know, hormones too, right? Um, and so, at, and the weird, weird way that life works. <laughs> that week, I got a call from Josie Bass Publishers, and they're like, we love your blog, and we want you to write a book called The School Psychologist Survival Guide. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's ironic, because I seriously am like typing up my letter of resignation right now. Um, and, I ended up not quitting, woo, here I am. Um, and I ended up diving into the research on burnout prevention. What is it that helps you um, feel empowered in your role as a school psychologist? How can you get more efficient organizational hacks? How can you be more productive without you know, ruining every weekend? How can you, um, you know, practice self-care? Uh, how can you do all of those practical things that are really necessary? So I dove into the research and I also interviewed veteran school psychologists um, who had been in the field 30, 30 plus years. One of them was like 41 years. And I was like, how, why? Like, <laughs> I was so interested in what kept them going. And that really went into my first book, The School Psychologist Survival Guide, and helped me turn the corner on that one of those first pivotal moments of burnout. So um, if you've been in grad school, you might know it. <laughs> um, so that's kind of my journey on how I, I started out really being interested in, in uh, the burnout prevention research. It was me search. It's so cool because I prob probably got started myself like right when that first book came out and I found your Facebook page and it was just so exciting to know that, oh my gosh, school psychologists are on Facebook and there's this book and there's these forms and there's all these strategies. And it was, I, I was really excited to find that when I was first getting started. So we really appreciate that you hung in there. That sounds like a very harrowing you know, sort of turning point. Um, and I think maybe many of us have less harrowing, but uh, similar experiences where you just have this moment where you're like, oh my gosh, can I do this in, for the long term? And, and it can be really stressful and overwhelming. And 
if you don't have that meaningful connection with kids really is why I think most of us got into this business. Um, it can be, it can be really overwhelming. So thank you for, for all of that work. And we're so glad that it led um, to what you're doing now. And so having, did you find the experience of writing that first book and connecting with other school psychologists? Was that also a way to stave off burnout or did that help you feel like you were finding more meaning in the work? Absolutely. I think that one of the things that, and it actually, you've segued into one of the burnout traps. Um, so spoiler alert, burnout trap number three is feeling isolated, feeling like you're alone on an island of suffering, like, and no one gets it and no one at your school and your principal, you've been there eight years, and like, here's our counselor. You're like, seriously, like, I'm not the counselor. And so it's really hard because unlike teachers who can just go down the hall and have a nice little consult, right? Um, you can't do that. Um, in most schools, if you have another school psychologist in a building, you're lucky. I've always felt like when I saw another school psychologist, it was at a staff meeting, right? And it was like first person since the apocalypse moment. I'm like, there's another one. Like, I was so excited. And then we ended up talking about policy and we didn't really have that time to connect. So with, I mean, I started my blog when it was like what was called Blogspot, which is like the first blogs, right? Um, and I joined Facebook. And it was helpful to hear that I wasn't the only one. I wasn't on an island of suffering. There was other people who had that similar experience. So it wasn't me. It wasn't that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough, smart enough, organized enough, strategic enough, that there were real systemic challenges that across the country were quite similar um, among school psychologists. For sure. And I think that um, that's inspiring that from that, you know, you were able to, I mean, this kind of happenstance, this thing happened with the, the phone call and the publishers, and you're able to kind of take that and use your creativity. And, you know, that something so good comes from that. So um, that's just, it's awesome. It's inspiring, too. And I think I know that there's some psychs out there listening and watching right now that are like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's that's where I'm at right now. So I think that that's you know this is a good kind of pick me up for them to you know maybe do something a little bit different or um, you know buy the book and and, and get um, some direction going on. So and I think I also I totally felt at the time <laughs> a real lack of professional development that meant something to me. It was all very interesting, but didn't really apply to what I was doing. Um, and in fact, on my blog, I had one of the best mm -hmm. contests I've ever had. Um, which you know will be trumped by this one. This one will be an amazing contest that we're going to have today. But it was, what is the worst professional development you've ever been to? <laughs> okay, so I'm sure you all have tales to tell. Um, but the winner went to a school psychologist whose district paid $40,000 to get a motivational speaker in, who came in and used this metaphor of watering the bamboo or something, and then no one spoke of it again. Like they have a dusty book that says water the bamboo. I mean, I'm sure it's a lovely book, but that's not really um, a great use of district funds in my opinion. So I started creating professional developments that I would have wanted, which is, you know, at various phases in your career, you go through these milestones of challenge that you've got to overcome. Otherwise you risk leaving the profession or getting burnout. Um, and so if I may, I brought my time turner. <laughs> um, Harry Potter fans, where are you at? Shout me on the calendar in the comments there. Um, to turn back time with you, let's jump in that time machine about those various points in school psych's career. So you can, you know, when you're listening, you can resonate with that. Like, oh yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at. So there's sort of three phases where I wish I could time travel back and give myself the advice that is in my new book right here. Okay. 
Um, so I think 172,000 turns should do it. Um, back to uh, when I first started out as a school psychologist. Um, and it was really the, the, what I was conquering right then was overwhelm. And it was this huge learning curve. And it was feeling like I wasn't enough, like I wasn't organized enough. I was just like one Excel spreadsheet away from success, right? Like I just felt like organization was the key. And really what I was doing there was I was falling into the first burnout trap, which, oh, visual aid, is falling into the paperwork and report writing trap. And it comes when you don't have a system to automate your reports and eliminate the nonsense, right? So in my first book, I do have forms. Where I'm like, let's not reinvent the wheel, y'all. Here's a form for you know the things you need. And so, oh, we got a Ravenclaw in the house, nice. Um, and so what I really found though in researching productivity is that all the time management hacks in the world will not save you unless you tackle your mindset first. And I'll give you a concrete example. So I want you to think about what you tell yourself when you have a backlog, 20 assessments. And you know, right now during this time period when you know, we're in the coronavirus and we couldn't see kids in the spring, a lot of us have a lot of backlog, right? What are you telling yourself, right? Um, you're saying, oh, if I just get through these ones, then it'll get easier. And then the big lie all school psychologists tell themselves, which is it'll be it'll it'll calm down next week, right? Or the next next week will be a little bit lighter. No, it won't. I'm sorry, like it won't. Um, it's just not going to be because we're school psychologists, and it will never be done because kids are never done. So it's a fallacy to think like, oh well, you know, I can rest when I'm done. So a little while ago, um, about four years ago, I started um, an online community for school psychologists born out of this isolation and desire to have professional development like with my peers. And I asked people like, what are you thinking about when it comes to you know, productivity? And it was always about trying to find that Excel spreadsheet. Now I'm not here to bag Excel spreadsheets. I love, I love a good color coding system. I mean, you guys, if I panned over here, you'd be like, it's a beautiful mind of post-its. <laughs> I love organization, but organizational hacks alone are not enough, okay? So let's use an example. So if you say, well, I can rest when I'm done. You know, has anyone said something so long? I'm like, oh, I, once I finish this report, then I can relax with Netflix or whatever. <laughs> okay, what if you told yourself something a little different? What if you told yourself a rested mind is more productive? Because the neuroscience shows when you take breaks, when you don't work to that point of exhaustion, when you sleep, when you actually take mindful moments in the day, you're 33% more efficient. So a rested mind is more productive. So it's an example of, you know, if you kept saying that original mindset, which is like, I'll rest when I'm done, you're just gonna keep running on that hamster wheel and be like secret life of pets. Uh, two, where the hamster's like, I run and I run and I get nowhere, right? <laughs> And you're just going to keep running and writing reports unless you also conquer your mindset. So there's a number of mindset shifts in the book that um, I have the counterpart to that will help you become less burnt out because, yeah, you'll never be done. So that's my first pro tip is to um, check your mindset first and then the hack can come from there. And I'm going to let you respond to that and then I'm going to give you a hack anyway because I love me mess my hack. I love some hacks anyway. Yeah, so do I. I just, I wanted to connect with that, that, you know, like it's so, um, I don't know, um, kind of easy to say to other people, to, you know, to teachers or to your colleagues that you must take care of yourself. You must put on your own oxygen mask first. 
but it is so hard to apply to yourself when everything feels so, you know, time sensitive and critical. And yeah, it's just that mindset shift. It's so um, simple, but it's so hard. And I don't know if you have a hack for that to hack your mindset a little bit more easily. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, when I get into a space of working or feeling like my to-do list is growing and growing and I need to just keep, you know, nose the grinds down and it is a rested mind is more productive. Um, and, you know, I know that it is, uh, doctors make the worst patients, school psychologists sometimes, no offense y'all out there, but you make the worst patients when it comes to self-care. Like, I think that another, kind of uh, mind hack, if you will, that I use all the time. Um, it kind of uh, weaves into pillar number four around self-care, but I'll give it now, why not? They all kind of work together. They're like gears in a system kind of thing, um, which is to ask yourself, what advice would you give a bestie school psych friend? So if you're looking at that work bag on Friday night and you're like, I really wanna just rest and relax this weekend, but I've got deadlines and I've got things to do and I wanna get caught up and I wanna feel like accomplished and done, Ask yourself, just take a mindful moment, be like, what would I advise Rachel to do in this moment? What about, girl, take that home and let it sit at the base of your staircase and haunt you all weekend as you don't do it and then feel bad about it. Or then you do it and you neglect your kids and then feel bad about that, right? No, I would never tell her to do that. I would tell her, arrested mind is more productive and you'll feel refreshed on Monday if you leave that bag there. And this is something that's super, super hard for newbies super super hard because there's this fear of getting fired <laughs> hey there's a shortage you're fine but you know there is this fear that you're not doing enough or you're going to get in trouble and i want to just tell you a quick story that like mind blown my first year i was working in san francisco unified which every single person at berkeley my professors and advisors like no don't go there first that's a huge monster urban school district. I'm like, but I'm young and uh, like passionate. So whatever, I can handle this. I'm organized, I'm efficient. I have executive functioning skills that won't quit. I got this. And so I, I went there and I was working so, so hard. And I had like 30 signed, 24 signed assessment plans. They were all due that month. And so I just thought it was my fault. Like I wasn't efficient enough. And so I finally was at this point where I was like breaking down because I was working every single weekend. By the way, time turner time. Could I turn myself back and go have like a kid-free brunch in the city? Oh my God, I so would right now. Um, and rested mind is more productive would have been handy then. But I finally, I gave in and I was like with my pride and I went to my supervisor and I was like, I don't know what to say. I'm doing my best and I just, I have too much. I can't, I feel like I need, I need some help. And she's like, okay, give me 10. I'll give them to Janice. Janice only has four right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could just ask for help? Like, that's crazy. And so it goes back to what Rebecca said, which is like, we would advise other people to ask for help, but oh, we're the helper, so we don't have to. No, I, I couldn't believe it. And then there was a point in time when I had a few, and then I took some of Janice's, like, we're fine. So again, it's communicating. Um, and I think that for newbies, a piece of advice is to communicate with data. Without data, you're just a person with an opinion about how hard you're working. If you just bring, like, here's 24 assessments, plans, it takes me six to eight hours per kid, and then this amount of time to write it up, and I'm crunching the numbers, and I'm three days a week, because <laughs> I was at that time, too, writing my dissertation at the same time. And he's like, I just feel like it's mathematically impossible for me to stay in my timelines, and I, that's really important to me. So what can we do together? And you may be surprised. At, your supervisor doesn't want you suffering behind the scenes. They don't want you burning out and leaving. 
Help is available at Hogwarts if you ask for it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's the sign of a good supervisor um, that's willing to, because I, I can speak to having been, and that's kind of was my moment of frustration that turned into creativity that, that kind of birthed the podcast where I was in this terrible district in Texas that was giving the things that I was just like, this seems impossible to you know do within the time limits that I have, like the 30 counseling kids and this many evals at the same time, it's just too much. And unfortunately, you know, the, the response that I got from leadership in that district was not like, hey, let's talk about it, let's work it out. But it, that was ver a very telling moment for me when they're like, eh, well, kind of too bad. Um, that was like a clue to me that, okay, this is not a place that I want to want to be in. Um, there are some that um, aren't super helpful. But I think that, you know, a good supervisor and people that understand our field, and especially if you're supervised by other school psychologists, I think that mm -hmm. they can. that was not the case where I was at the time. Um, so I don't think she understood. <laughs> where yeah. I was. yeah. But and and actually, go ahead. I was gonna say, I love um, what you're talking about as far as like thinking, how, how would you handle this? Or what would you recommend to somebody with this problem? And I have to stop myself when I'm dealing with my own children sometimes, like they're running around and I'm like, it's like, ah, like my, you know, we're in a pandemic and my, my son has a terrible habit of like chewing on his fingers all the time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna get germs. They're gonna go in his mouth, it's bad news. Like we need to break this habit. And so I find myself like, keep your hands out of your mouth, keep your hands out of your mouth. And it's not working obviously. And I had to take a step back and think like, what would I recommend like to a teacher that I wanna, you know, I wouldn't be just keep nagging on the kid. It would be, let's talk about reinforcement. Let's talk about behaviors or response costs or replacement things and, and stuff like that. And that was like a light bulb on my, uh, you know, that went on for me that, okay, I need to not think like the parent that's overwhelmed. I need to think like, how would I help this person um, normally, you know, in the schools. And that, so I think that that's a great message too, to slow down and remember that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, not being isolated, right? Like you, right, when I have um, something that I don't know how to address either with my own children or at, at work, it's so nice to be able to, you know, message Eric and Rachel and run it by them because sometimes you can't see what's right in front of your face. So those two, I think are, are super important. Can go together. Yeah, Rachel, I want to just piggyback on because I'm a mom as well. I have two elementary kiddos and I'm doing distance learning with them. And uh, my parenting courses were born out of this crisis. And uh, I find myself being like, wait, what would I advise myself to do? Okay, I would relax my standards to a level appropriate for a global pandemic, right? I would give myself grace and I just add the words in a global pandemic to any criticism I have as a school psychologist or a mom, like, oh, my house looks like crap in a global pandemic, right? I didn't get through my inbox in a global pandemic. My kids didn't finish their math worksheet in a global pandemic. And it just softens my criticism. But it's also, if you can treat yourself like you would your own bestie, um, it can, something about stepping outside of yourself. Um, and then what you mentioned about overwhelm too, is it's recognizing like you can't parent from a, or be a school psychologist from a place of chaos, right? Um, and so it's a great commercial for self-care, right? And, you know, I'll talk about self-care in a minute, how I actually have this uh, not so radical idea that self-care is not enough. Um, and I have the antidote to what that is too. But I did promise a hack and I really want to deliver on that promise. Okay, so um, like I mentioned, pillar one is system to automate and eliminate. So there's an adage in uh, productivity research, which I just like geeked out on a couple of years ago. I was like, how can I be more productive and things like that? So in addition to the mindset shifts, um, I, there's an adage that says, 
Um, solve a problem once, automate it forever. So for those of you who are seasoned school psychologists, you probably have great templates and you could fluff them up a little bit, but like, doesn't it make it a lot easier when you can just go to your template and like, oh, great. I mean, I've been around so long, I'm like, I need a child who, you know, is suspected of having autism, but actually has anxiety, whose mom is divorced, who's like, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's like that kid. Like I can find those templates. Um, but when you're new, you don't have those. So um, you wanna, first off, like kind of cultivate really great templates and invest that time in that. But my hack is actually around email. So I don't know if you guys get any emails or compose any emails. Do you ever compose an email and it's like on autopilot because you say it so many times? I'm finished testing Johnny and I need the mask, right? Whatever. Um, so if you, I have had email templates before where I like cut and paste from notes or whatever, but and you can actually make your emails a signature. So you know you're like signed off, you know, oh, Eric, school psychologist, extraordinaire, or however it says. Um, you can actually make, I have 20 email temp, uh, signatures. And one of them says, I finished testing male. I finished testing female. I need the Basque teacher male. I need the Basque teacher female. And so I just, you go to your inbox and then when you compose the message, you pull down that signature, boom. I finished testing Johnny. Here's a personal anecdote. I need the Basque, signed Rebecca. And you can create these email templates that will save you so much time. So next time you find yourself writing an email that's used right all the time, and it could be like, we're not testing right now because of COVID precautions or whatever, and you'll have to change that one a couple of times. But it's so much faster to just drop down and grab that email. It's available, you can do it in Mac, you can do it in Google, just make a new email template. So there's your hack, I promised. <laughs> that is an awesome one. And you know what, I, I tend to have email templates for like these very rare things, like when the parent writes to me because the family pet died. I have that one, you know, like I have that, those, but they're, you know, not the everyday ones. It's genius, I think, I love that. Um, and I wonder if now is a good time to do our first giveaway. What do we think, Rebecca? I do think it's a great time. And I also want to shout out Estella woo, woo, in the chat. She's a member of the Thriving School Psychologist. She's one of the OG original uh, Thriving School Psych members. And she's, she's shouting out the email hack. So we have both geeked out on that together for sure. So yay. All right. So um, you're probably wondering what you get as a prize. And I don't know. I don't can't think of anything except for my new book that just dropped today. <laughs> I want to be like the Oprah of school psychology. Yeah, I get a book. And yeah, we'll get a book. I'm like under your chair. There's a whole book. Um, okay, so first one, and it's a very highly scientific process that we discussed prior to being live. So go ahead, whoever is going to be in charge of that. I thought you had volunteered to be in charge of that. <laughs> I am in charge of that. Okay, here's my highly scientific process. I'm going to close my eyeballs and point to the chat. And whoever's name I point to wins the book. Okay. Uh, um, Angie, Angie, Angie C. Is that Angie. right? Awesome. Okay. Angie, yes. Okay. Perfect. So, Angie, if you don't mind, um, if you're on either of the Facebook pages or on Twitter, send us a message with your email and we will get it um, to Rebecca so you can get your prize. Congratulations. Yay, dopamine hit. Yes, keep going. <laughs> um, this might be a good time to take a question um, from Angie. So um, how can you t know, tell which school districts and areas are more prone to burnout for school psychs? 
Any thoughts on that? Great question. I think it all happens in the interview process. So when you are sitting down for the interview, people always forget that they're interviewing you, but you're interviewing them. So you can ask them, you know, what supports do you have for a new school school psychologist? And if they're like, oh, you can kind of talk to whoever when you need to, or like we have a, a mentoring program in place in which you're matched with a veteran school psychologist to walk the ropes with you, right? And you can even straight up ask like, you know, what are your caseload sizes? Um, how many assessments are school psychologists expected to do in a month? Um, and kind of gauge the numbers um, because really, how you, and I'm always a big fan of, and this is a very scientific thing, spidey sense. <laughs> if you get a spidey sense that they're like, um, you know, not responsive to those questions or they're like, oh, I don't know, or, oh, you know, it depends. And like, they're like cagey about it. Or if they're like, you know, we recognize we are, you know, understaffed. So you, there are a lot of assessments. However, we, you know, are trying to get more people or whatever. You can learn about that. Um, I think, I don't know if there would be data on like turnover rates, um, but if you go to forums and they're always advertising the same school district, maybe um, <laughs> that's a sign that there's a high turnover rate. Um, you can ask like, how long have your school psychologists been um, on your, you know, did they tend to, how long do they stay? Uh, those kinds of questions I think uh, are really um, are helpful to give right away. And you can be really honest, like, look, I. Uh, you know, I'm interested in doing more than just testing. What opportunities do you have in your district for that? If they're like, well, mm, there's not really any, then are they like, oh, you can do that on your extra time if you have time, that's cool. Um, then that's kind of a red flag. Yeah, those are good, good points. Um, also, we had another question from Caitlin for new school psychs. How do you estimate what is an average caseload for the area you're applying to? That's a good question. Right. So the average caseload is really uh, tricky to pin down sometimes. And I've asked school psychologists in my forums and things like how many do you tend to do a year? And it ranges from like, you know, 10 to 150. I mean, really, there's a huge, huge range. So again, that's something you are going to want to probably um, ask uh, other school psychologists in the district if you have any uh, insider uh, information <laughs> about what is the average caseload. Um, I know when I worked in Oakland, there was a formula for it, like this amount of percentage of time you're expected to do this amount of evaluations, and it was all very, and if you're in a higher needs school, then it's less. So, you know, you can ask how are school psychologists assigned? that's a kind of a, a question that can kind of get around the block to it, which is like, oh, we, ass we assign school psychologists to, you know, if they're more of a high need school, then we only give you one. Or we give you, you know, a full high school, but you have another person there. Um, you can ask, ask them um, how many there are. The average is tough to pin down though. Yeah, I, I've found that I'm most comfortable, yeah, with, with two schools, whether in, and really how many evals kind of depends on what the other responsibilities and the other duties are, because, you know, 40 evals with, uh, you know, a decent counseling caseload um, isn't, you know, might be doable, but, um, you know, you might be able to do more if you don't have the counseling caseload, that type of thing. But, um, yeah, I always felt like two schools was like where I was most comfortable because I didn't want to spend, like, 
five days a week in one school. It was like <laughs> too much. I'm tired of what's going on, the nonsense that happens to be going on in this building at this time. And I need a break to go to my other school. But, um, and I've worked with kind of really variable, like, like you said, I've worked in districts that are where I do like 30 evals in a year and I've done over a hundred, which is rough. Yeah. And it all depends. Like, I think that's a really good point, Rachel. And it kind of uh, folds into my next burnout trap, which is, you know, I always felt like, well, maybe this other district is better. And I always felt like the grass is greener on the other side of the Oakland Bay Bridge, or the grass is greener than this. And I hate to burst your bubble, but like every district district kind of has its own flavor of dysfunction. I know that sounds cynical, but like, it's just really what your level of tolerance is for that particular flavor. The grass isn't always greener. It's a different shade of green. So in one of my school districts, I was a testing machine. That's all I did. And it was just like test IP repeat. And I didn't like that because I love counseling. Um, and then in another district, it was you know pretty low on the testing, but the counseling need was so high. And I had a lot of big vicarious trauma because I was like heart wrenching day in and day out. And then in another one, it was none of those things, but there was also parents who were like, had a red pen and their advocate and they're like, why didn't you give the C top? And I'm like, how do you know about the C top? Like, just like, you know, criticism and fine lines everywhere. So what are you able to tolerate? Earlier in my career, I would not have been able to tolerate that level of scrutiny, but later in my career, I could. And, you know, earlier in my career, you know, I probably, you know, wasn't really ready for a very high needs counseling load where there was trauma and crisis every single day because I was brand new. So it's really the flavor of dysfunction that you're um, well, most well suited to be in. Um, I'm not saying don't change districts, but I'm just saying that there are cases in which, you know, you can work within the district you're in to make systematic changes, which goes to the, the second point, which is feeling trapped in a testing only role. This one is actually very common to many school psychologists. We love, I love assessment. I love geeking out on like the puzzle pieces and like the whisk, I love it all. But I, it's not the only thing I wanna do, right? Um, and so when we are school psychologists in these systems, you know, we can feel like we've been put in a testing only cage. Like someone put us in there. We, your role is testing, you stay in there. And then you feel trapped and resentful and you're looking at the door and like, why won't anyone let me out, right? I can do so much more. And I discovered in my first eight or so years that actually I was focusing so much on organization. I was missing the bigger picture. I was focusing on putting out every single little fire. I wasn't looking at the wiring to see why the heck everything was on fire, right? So this is the pillar number two, uh, thriving school psychologist. There we go. Spend time looking at the wiring, not just putting out fires. And any good school psychologist knows like, yes, tier one, tier two, all that stuff. But if you want to think about it this way, here's another little you know, pro tip is that when you think about where your time spent is not really giving a great return on your investment, it's when you have do not qualify students. I'm not saying that it's inappropriate referrals because the kid needs help and everyone wants to uncover that. But for instance, at one of my schools, every child in the eighth grade somehow was suspected of having ADHD in one classroom. And the, statistically, it would have been impossible for every child in that classroom to have ADHD, but that was what I was getting, referral to referral to referral. And guess what I was discovering at the end of that referral? It was trauma. There was a trauma, in, um, and also the kids never been taught executive functioning skills. And there was also a situational factor where 
it was eighth graders. It was always eighth graders. All eighth graders got referred for ADHD evaluation. You could set your watch to it every March because they were going to be retained if they didn't pass portfolio. And they didn't do portfolio because they had trauma and executive functioning lagging skills. So I was like, can we just stop? Like, and with my, and I had great rapport with my principal and my team. And again, that's really important when you pick a district, if you feel like you vibe with your principal and they get that you're specialized, not the only game in town and they are aligned in alliance with you on that. And I was like, let's just stop. Like, we're just not, we're just stopping and we're going to pale back and we're going to be strategic. What can we do to give these kids executive functioning skills starting in August, September? How can we get them trauma informed care early? And so we, um, with zero dollars, with a budget of no dollars, um, we put in together um, an executive functioning coaching program. Um, I recruited interns from my alma mater, Berkeley, who were just chomping at the bit to like get some experience. Um, and they came in and were individual executive functioning coaches for some of the students and then also classroom lessons. And guess what? My referrals went down and I had so much more time to go into the classroom and teach executive functioning skills, which got me out of my testing only cage, right? So again, we can't be focusing on the bars. Like I'm focusing on like, oh, I'm trapped, there's too many assessments, ugh. No, there's a space in between the bars and sometimes you can literally walk through and be like, yeah, I'm just gonna do an executive functioning thing. <laughs> and that's what I did and it worked. And it, it was a, um, a synergistic effect of my do not qualify referrals went down. Um, and my engagement in things beyond testing went up. So there's probably a passion project inside you right now. You're like, oh my gosh, if I could just, you know, work on phonics with little ones, like, like, and like get a program that then, uh, you know, wouldn't get every third grader referred to me. Um, I know there's a passion project inside you that, and you feel trapped. Um, if you've been in the field long enough, if you're young in the field or new in the field, you'll feel trapped because you're not, don't feel organized enough to get time to do it. Um, and then if you've been in here a while, you think this is, oh, I'm, this is my prescribed role. But it, it doesn't have to be. And that's my favorite part. A shameless plug alert of the book is that there's stories in here of school psychologists who, just like you, felt like trapped. Like my district, there's no way I'm going to move the needle on being like more of a prevention and intervention specialist. I'm just going to be a tester. And they surprise themselves. <laughs> They're like, wow, um, one of my greatest success um, stories is a woman called Jennifer, who um, thankfully I got to meet at NASP in person before all this went down, who did that. She did just that. She's doing 100% SEL now, no testing, just like a try here and there. And she was 100, I don't know, 25 or so evals a year. And it was be, be, being strategic and thinking what's in between those bars? How can I walk through those? And someone asked a question I do want to, uh, was it hard to get the teachers on board? No. They were like, a body in my classroom? Yay! <laughs> You're gonna help Johnny? Awesome! I don't know why I always use Johnny. Like, Johnny's always like this school psychologist, industry standard kid who needs a lot of help in all areas. Um, but again, they were they were happy because often people, and I always say this in, for newbies, and when you're in, we call them SST meetings out here, pre-referral intervention teams, whatever you want to call them. With every no, there should be a yes. Like, no, we're not gonna assess right now, but yes, I'll come in and observe or yes, I'll come in and do a little one-on-one -on -one with him and see where the lagging skills are and see what we can't find, find, figure out from. The teachers just, they want help. Sometimes they don't want special education, but they see that's the only game in town. And then PS, um, you know, it takes three months to get that <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes they don't even qualify. And so then it's frustrating for the teacher as well. So intervene early and often is something we always know as school psychologists, but you can do it with data. You can straight up, I have tools in my 
program where we straight up look at the data and like, where are all my do not qualifies coming from and what can we strategically put in place before that? And most teachers were on board. They're like, yeah, we'll take the help. Sign me up. Yeah, teachers especially, I find that, you know, like psychs that are willing to step into the classroom and model the thing or, you know, show a, you know, show a lesson, do a lesson, be involved, not just like send the email, like do this and do this <laughs> yeah. type of scenario. And there's so much, I think, research now in terms of supporting tier one and interventions ahead of time, right? Pre-referral interventions and, you know, as districts, we we don't always turn that ship around, right? As, as you said, Rebecca, um, you know, we, we don't always move the needle, right? It, it takes all these baby steps, but one teacher at a time, one classroom at a time, supporting the intervention that the students need, that's, that's what teachers want, that's what kids need, and um, it really enhances our role and our abilities to be more, um, more successful, right? Rather than just testing and Right. and finding out they don't qualify which is and then when you have one teacher around, understand right? poor johnny um and his adhd symptoms and you equip and model for them how to work with that outside of special education you've equipped her or him to work with any other johnny who is similar who comes in their classroom and so there's a ripple effect um when and so we think like well i'm just doing this one thing i'm just walk through the bars this one time that one time could be a catalyst for the teacher having a better understanding. And that's why we love being consultants, right? We can help shift people's mindsets so that they can be more preventive and, and build up their skill set. Because teachers do well when they can, kids do well when they can. And if you can be, um, I always feel, feel like school psychologists are like the linchpin in all of the parties who are involved with a child. And you can really um, have a great ripple effect, I think. For sure. and. I am excited to say we're going to do another giveaway. <laughs> so please comment away and we'll use our very scientific method again. Just shout out what's on your mind and we'll get lots of comments to choose. You from. have exactly five <laughs> seconds before I do my very, um, I'm trying to think of the name. One of my daughter's teachers uses this reinforcement wheel in her, you know, like the old popsicle sticks. There is a website, and I'm not coming up with it right now, where you can put the kids' names in, and like, and then you like it stops on it and goes, "Yay! It's you know, Karen, whatever." <laughs> I wish I had that, and I was fancy enough to use it. Yes. It's called like Wheel of Names. It's, I think that's it. I think it's Wheel of Names, but it's really fun. I use it in my driving school site collective when I give out swag and prizes because I can type their name in, and then it, it's just reinforcing to have little, you know digital confetti flying everywhere. Okay, so we're gonna pretend we have digital confetti. Here we go. Um, we have Miss Marie Morales. Awesome, confetti. <laughs> All right, you private message these folks and they'll get you your um, very cool prize. Yay. Okay, so I do wanna transition to the other two burnout traps because um, they're also really, really important, particularly as we think about National School Psychologist Week heretofore known as Nisoha. No, wait, how do you say it? I can't say it. I always love spa. Like school psychologists are wearing it always in my heart. Um, particularly because you can, you know, do your best crow impersonation during a school psychologist awareness week of spa, spa, right? Um, I'm always gonna do it. In fact, I just got a tweet from the National Executive Director of NASP authorizing me that I can still do the spa crowing. So it's on, this is my last year, I'm gonna live it up. Um, but this is super critical. So the theme this year 
is power of possibility. So I wanna ask you a real question. I want you to think about it in your brain. When you read the theme for National School Psychologist Week, power of possibility, did you think of your kids, your students first? I did. I was like, oh yeah, they have so much possibility and I love them so much. I wanna invite you to think about your possibility <laughs> because when you're trapped in a testing only cage or when you're feeling overwhelmed and burning yourself out writing reports on the weekends, when you're feeling isolated and lonely or you know that you're not living up to your full school psych potential, this is about you too. So the last two burnout traps are really about school psychologists in particular. Um, the third one, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, burnout trap three is being alone on an island of suffering. And I think we are particularly prone to that because we know, and uh, this is a, uh, <laughs> I won't sing it, but there ain't no party like a school psych party. Um, anyone who's been to NASP knows that there, do you guys just feel like that jazzed energy after NASP or after these podcasts or after like, you know, having in the olden days when we could have coffee with a colleague, a school psychologist, like you just feel seen, you feel heard, you feel got. And that's something that's really lacking in our field. Thanks to the power of the World Wide Web, we're able to do these connections. So hats off to you for being here. Um, as well. So I want to invite you to think about some strategic planning around how you can connect with other school psychologists. Um, because really, you have to be strategic. And here's why. So you know, there's online spaces for everyone. And there's some that are a little bit more um, supportive than others. And there's some that you just want to check yourself, check your energy. After you go on to a particular um, school psych forum, or after you watch a podcast, or after you connect with a school psychologist colleague, do you feel better? Do you feel supported, empowered, nourished, and hopeful? Do you feel you know, embarrassed, or anxious, or worried, or annoyed? Listen to your own energy. Because, and this is uh, one of the chapters in my book is called, um, it's called Find Your Marigolds. And it's based on a metaphor um, about, I didn't know this about marigolds, but apparently expert gardeners know that if you plant marigolds next to other plants, the other plants thrive. It wards off all the toxic you know, animals and all the toxic um, bugs and things like that. And I want you to think about who are your school psych marigolds, <laughs> who, when you're around them, you feel like you can thrive and they get you and you can you know, be yourself and be okay not being okay and like not feel embarrassed when you're like, I'm having a hard time, right? Gardeners also know apparently that when you plant things near walnut trees, walnuts, I didn't know this, fun fact, um, emit a toxic chemical that kills everything around it. <laughs> and there are school psychologist friends who've been around a while who emit that toxic energy. Now, no one's always a marigold or always a walnut, but you have to protect yourself. You have to surround yourself with marigolds and put on your psychological hazmat suit when it comes to people who have a more burnout energy. And that can be teachers, that can be your principal, your direct supervisor could be having a walnutty energy kind of thing. And so stack the deck, the magic number is two. The research shows that you only need two colleagues at work who are marigolds to be protected against stress and burnout. Look, there's three right here, y'all are sorted. Um, 
but at your school, it doesn't have to be a school psychologist. Now, while there is no party like a school psych party, you can also have adjacent <laughs> marigolds as well. So I invite you to think about who can I connect with online, who are um, inspirational and um, make me feel uplifted, and who can I in my school site, maybe not a school psychologist, um, kind of surround myself with that positive energy. Um, because really that's kind of, that's one of the hardest things is feeling like no one gets, gets me. Like in my own family, God love them. They were like, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, just not two years ago. Like, so how is it, how is it being a school guidance counselor? I'm like, oh my God, it's a totally different job. I just no one get this. Um, so surround yourself with a school psychologist who you feel comfortable and cozy with. Um, and then also plant your garden of marigolds in your life as well. Oh, I'm loving all this shouting out to you guys. I've got some marigolds up in here. And I can't take full credit for that beautiful metaphor. Um, it came from Jennifer Gonzalez. Do you all know Cult of Pedagogy? Um, she's like a marigold of her teachers. She just has like these great practical advice things. And I actually, I'm not a teacher, but I like watch and listen to all her podcasts because I learn a lot that I can use in consultation. So there's another one for her cult of pedagogy, which is kind of a fun name. Um, but she's the one who originally thought about that for new teachers. And I was like, oh my God, school psychologists need that too. I, I love her podcast as well. And I think she has a Facebook page and she's on all kinds of social media. So that's a, a great um, place for inspiration. All the comments, I feel all some the like virtual marigold yeah. energy, like deep marigold energy up in here. I love it. Um, so I only like I know we're running up on time, and I could just geek out all day long, but I'm you know sure that people have things to do. Okay, um, but I wanted to share the last pillar um, and the last burnout trap, and it, really, it's the most important one, but it may become more important in your life right now during COVID. Um, and it's, like I said, all these four pillars kind of work together, like yours in a, a system where if you want to mix metaphors, legs of a table, like if you you're super organized and you're doing a lot of stuff and you have friends, but you like are completely burnt out, um, and aren't taking care of yourself, then it's not going to work. It's going to topple. So at various points in your career, uh, you don't need a time turner. You can just read the book and figure out which one do I need to lean on more. Um, Number four, drowning in the quicksand of overworking. And then I added and negativity. So this is a sneaky one. And I wanna share a personal story. This is really sneaky for me. So I remember starting out as school psychologist in San Francisco and I was at staff meetings and it felt like a walnut grove. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Like, they're so grouchy. These school psychologists are like negative and cynical. And now I recognize that as burnout. But before I was like, oh gosh, you know, what's wrong with their personality, right? That fundamental attribution error where you know in ourselves it's situational and everyone else it's personality right when you cut someone off and they're like oh it's because I, I in my blind spot but if someone else cuts you off well they're a jerk right so i i was at these meetings being like why are they so you know jerky and then i actually ended up being a walnut i was at my own staff meetings being like the most walnutty of walnuts i didn't even recognize myself and i pride myself on being like using sense of humor and like being fun and engaging and optimistic and i'm one of those people who's like Oh my gosh, the barn burnt down. I can see the moon. Yay. Like I'm Pinkie Pie school psychology. I'm like, I'm falling down a waterfall. Yay. Like I really a positive person, but it really was like quicksand. It was like a little tiny, I was, I was okay. And then like a little tiny, like rock of like in my backpack. 
every single day. And I just kept sinking and sinking and sinking. And I would work harder and harder to get out. And you know about quicksand. I don't know if you know about quicksand. The harder you struggle, the more you get stuck. And so I was just struggling and sinking. And then I just got negative and I didn't even recognize myself. And so the antidote is my me search that I talked about at the beginning at the top of the hour about what does it take to what is the science of burnout? What is the science of happiness? So pillar four is practicing self-care and knowing the science of burnout and science of happiness. I love the positive psychology. You guys had someone on last week who was really great around positive psychology. It's not about being pinky pie all the time. For those moms out there who see My Little Pony, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone else like, what's this lady talking about? Um, she's like perpetually optimistic, like inappropriately. So like kind of toxic positivity kind of character. Um, so it's not about being happy all the time. It's being able to cope with stressful feelings. And so I'm here to tell you, and here is my uh, truth bomb I'm dropping on you, is that self-care is not enough. There is no bubble bath in the world relaxing enough to escape the prison of beating yourself up for not being good enough, not finishing enough, not getting through your to-do list, not you know serving that kid in the way you thought you were going to serve them. If you're beating yourself up every day, that's not self-care. You did a self-care behavior. You took the bubble bath, right? But you want to build a life that you don't want to escape from during self-care Sunday. And so this book is really about those four steps, how to get there, how to get to that point of not just self-care, which is great. I love it. But also self-compassion, which is that treating yourself like you would a best school psych friend. Because I remember when I was in San Francisco, I, I had a greyhound dog. I'm embarrassed to say, but I'll say it anyway. His name was Pointy <laughs> and I named him that. But anyway, Pointy and I would take afternoon walks for self-care. This is when I was three days a week and I had about mm, 100 evaluations a year and I was writing my dissertation and I was doing all these counseling groups because I was new and excited and I formed a hip hop dance group at lunch and like anything I could get my hands on because I was like so excited to be a school psychologist. And I would go around this beautiful part of um, the marina of San Francisco with my dog and ruminate on what I didn't get to. So I was doing self-care, but I was not doing self-compassion. And that's the difference. Krista Neff is wonderful. She talks about this. Self-care is done sort of off the job and self-compassion is done on the job where the struggles are really happening in that moment. You can't go to an IEP meeting and be like, that was really stressful. I'm gonna go take a bubble bath, excuse me. <laughs> like, You have to stop and be like, what are the three steps? Okay, I'm in a moment of suffering. Everyone is in this moment of suffering at some point. And what would I tell Rebecca or Rachel or Eric to do? I would say, don't beat yourself up for not being sidekick about what the advocate wanted from you that you didn't know that she wanted from you, right? Give yourself the same grace you give a best friend. That's a, a great, that's if you take nothing from this, take that. Treat yourself like your own school psych bestie. So good. That's so important. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, I loved your in a pandemic comment too, because even more so in a pandemic, we need to be demonstrating grace to each other, but to ourselves too. So. Yeah, great, great advice. All right, I think we're close to wrapping up. Um, so any, if anybody has kind of some last minute questions or comments, feel free to do. I know the chat box is, is, is going on right now. People are... Um, and we have another prize and yes. I have a grand prize. Yes, oh, another prize and a grand prize? Okay. Prize and a grand prize. 
Okay, yeah. so let's let's yeah, let's uh, do the do the prize first, and then the grand prize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Highly scientific. The last book goes to uh, Serena. Serena, did I say it right? I don't know. Congratulations, Serena. Just on Facebook or Twitter. Yay. Okay, so I'll get you a copy of your book um, where you can read all about it. Um, okay, so there is a grand prize involved. And it's only, don't tell everyone, it's just for you guys um, here at the School Psych Podcast. So um, up until the end of School Psychologist Awareness Week, this is the contest, and it is a mega master thriving kit. Okay, so I'm gonna feel a little bit like School Psych QVC for just a hot second, but bear with me. So here is what is in this kit, and then I'll tell you how you can enter to win. The original School Psychologist Survival Guide with all the forms that Rebecca talked about. The new book to give your new school psych bestie, yourself. <laughs> um, I did write this one for parents, but it's really great for consultation. The Everything Parents Guide for Executive Functioning Disorder. I like to geek out on executive functioning all day long. Um, so if you have uh, kiddos that you wanna uh, give parents advice, there are practical tools for that. A school psychologist gratitude journal for all your hopes and dreams. Oh my goodness, oh, is there I'm more? I'm not done yet. Oh, oh wait, there's more. Your very own thriving school psychologist coffee mug that says, I never get invited to any meetings, said no school psychologist ever. Mm -hmm. And the fifth pillar, oh, I forgot, there's more. This poster, top 10 reasons to be a school psychologist. It was um, actually crowdsourced by all y'all on Facebook. I asked a couple school psych awareness weeks ago, what do you love about being a school psychologist? And that's what came out of it. And then the fifth and sixth pillar of thriving. Who ready? Chocolate <laughs> and coffee. This is my favorite coffee. It's made in Tahoe, up, uh, kind of close to where I'm at. It's called Drink Coffee, Do Stuff. So you can drink your coffee and then do your stuff, which is expanding your role beyond testing, which is getting organized and streamlining, connecting with other school psychologists, and building up your self-care. How do you win? I'm glad you asked. So, um, anyway, <laughs> oh God, we have to have fun, y'all. Seriously, there's been a lot of stress in the world right now. I just, we gotta let loose. Um, so you can go, this is just for School Psych podcast people. This is my high tech, thrivingschoolpsych.com forward slash school psyched. The book is available on Amazon. And if you buy the book, it can be, it's on Kindle too. Um, if you buy the book, go to the school, uh, you can go to Amazon, just Google the Thriving School Psychologist, go to Amazon, buy the book, copy your order number, if you pop it in to school site, that um, URL, Thriving School Site, course at school site, you'll be entered to win the contest. So just pop in your email, your order number from buying the book, and you'll get the Mega Master Prize Pack, and I will announce it live on Friday the 13th. Um, the last day of School Psychologist Awareness Week Spa, whatever the new rebrand is, I'm still gonna call it Spa, I can't stop myself. Um, Serena, you're funny, you have, I have missed my second calling as a stand-up. Oh, okay, I'll be at the comedy store this. No. <laughs> Look, sense of humor is where it's at. You have to laugh or else you seriously, you might just cry all the time. So yes, virtual hugs to all y'all too. Um, and the book is full of like, the same kind of me, like as I wrote it, it's, it's just, 
we have to um, keep each other inspired and uplifted. And especially in these very crazy, crazy times, I do think, uh, hold on, I know we're about to end, but I have to do a quick soapbox. I feel like <laughs> COVID might be sort of a blessing for school psychologists in a very weird package which is people can start to see us as doing things other than testing because for a long time we weren't able to do testing or we're not able to do it fully. We can streamline the report writing and do other things like virtual SEL and then people can't unsee that. They can't unfeel how they felt when we pushed into their Zoom classroom or helped these, all these kids who needed help with primary needs, um, you know, such as safety and belonging and um, food and these things. So it's an opportunity for people to see us as more than just testing machines, because I know all y'all are definitely more than that. That is awesome. We have so many good comments, and I know you wanted to give away one other book, right? You're going to do the magic point in place. <laughs> okay. Did we already give away one or no? Are Did we, we get to three? We have one The magic number was three. I think we did two so yeah. far. Yeah, two so like far. We did three, but let's let's just do. We did three. <laughs> am I wrong? I'm sorry. Maybe I am not counting well. Okay, sorry. we do four. Rebecca, you just won it. <laughs> for my school psychologist, Rebecca Fred. Sorry, Rachel Rayrick. I'm so sorry that you're not in the Rebecca club right now. So that was a little. Thankfully. <laughs> I can borrow it from her. Yeah. Yes. So that was a little Rebecca nepotism. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was so much fun. I love all the comments. I love all the energy. I love all the prizes. And <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Everything you said made so much sense. It's so, so important, especially now. And I know I'm going to take this, um, these hacks and these tips and this energy into my week. So I can't thank you enough for being here. It was great to be here. All right. Yeah, yeah. thank Before you. Before we head out, I wanted to see when is our next one? Because I haven't posted it. I, I'm terrible. The 15th. At the 15th. It's Karen Gross yes. um, speaking to us about trauma-informed uh, work. Yes. And then 12-6, uh, Dr. Dawn Flanagan. Flanagan. Yes. Yep. So look forward to that, everybody. But thank you so much for joining us. That yeah. was awesome. I learned a lot. And uh, I think that motivated us through these ridiculous times. So yes. Right. Yeah. I'm going to go write down in my gratitude journal that my kids did not bust in here. This is like <laughs> huge, y'all. Like a little extra. Ice the internet worked. <laughs> the internet worked. I know. Well, yeah. uh, 2020 keeps on delivering, so <laughs> I'm really going to start to focus on the positive. So thank you for having me. It's been an honor. This is my favorite podcast of all time. You guys are amazing. You're my marigolds, and I thank love you. that you guys had me on here. Have a great week, everyone.